I hate to be the one to break it to you, but the chances that you are going to achieve and find your life purpose is very slim. Yeah, it's kind of depressing, isn't it? At least that's true if you're the typical American, because studies are showing that 25% of people, only 25% of people, believe that they are on their uh, path to pursue or to experience and to fulfill their life's purpose. 25%. That's pretty narrow if you really stop to think about it, isn't it? It's kind of depressing also, as we've said. Great way to start a message, right? But it's pretty true across the board. These are what the surveys are showing, that 25% of people even believe that they're on the way to that. And certainly some of those who believe they're on the way are going to find out that they're actually chasing down some dead end, that that wasn't really the purpose after all. And it seems to affect everybody, regardless of what stage in life they're at, regardless of what their successes may have been. A few years back, Tom Brady was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he was asked about all of his success and what that meant. And he said this, Why do I have these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is it. I've reached my goals, my dreams. Me, I think, there's got to be more than this. What else is there for me? The interviewer asked him, what's the answer? Brady replied, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. He went on, I think that's part of me going out and experiencing other things. I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I know there's a lot of parts, a lot of parts about me that I'm still trying to find. Today we're going to be talking about this idea of discovering and living out our purpose. We don't need to be a part of those 75% of people who openly admit that I really am not quite sure about where I'm going or about where I should go or getting to the end of life and saying I didn't really know what I was after. We don't need to be a part of that. Today's message is actually called On Purpose. We are going to discover this on purpose, intentionally. We're taking a look at this. We're also trying to figure out what is purpose really all about And the reason that this is on our mind is because it's essential for living a healthy life, a productive life, and also because it comes straight out of the text that we are opening up and looking at today. And that text is Romans chapter 15. So I invite you to go ahead and open up a Bible or open up your scripture journals to Romans 15 if you would please. As you do so, welcome to those who are listening in other places in the in the classic venue or on the Moon campus or online, wherever you're checking this out, we're glad that you are with us here as well. We've been studying our way through this letter to the Romans in the New Testament. It's a New Testament church that uh, Paul hadn't started, but he's concerned for. And so he's been writing this book, Romans, Grace Changes Everything. And we've been in this for a number of weeks. In fact, this is week 30. And next week is week 31. And week 31 is the last week of the series. We are almost all done with this. Next week is, is the end. And so be sure to be back for that. It's important you'd be back and bring those scripture journals with you. Important that you do that also as we wrap this up as well. But today, in this penultimate, ultimate message in this series, what we're going to find is that Paul is actually starting to talk in a different way than he has been up to this point. All of a sudden, Paul turns a corner in the way he's talking, and he starts to talk about himself a lot. 
This is really different for Paul. We come to the end of chapter 15. We're beginning in verse 14 today. We find that Paul has essentially wrapped up the teaching content of this letter. And he has now moved kind of from what I want you to know to to let you know why I wrote this. What was behind it? What was sort of motivating me as I made my way along? And as he does so, he gets into how this letter and his coming plans are actually an outworking of what he came to know his call was, what his purpose was in Christ. And we see him living this out, what his life is all about. We're going to take a look at that because there are elements of what is true for Paul that are just as true for us where we are today, a couple thousand years later, but just as true for us today. So there are definitely things that we can glean from this. So I hope you got that outline there or your scripture journal. You can jot some things down, and I hope you will as we go along, as we seek to discover and live on purpose. All right? So the question that we're asking today is this one. How do I live my purpose? There are just a couple straightforward points I want to make about this that draw out of this text, and uh, we'll be done. How do I live on purpose. The first thing that Paul would say to us is this, serve the purposes of God. Now I may say, whoa, 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 wait. I said, how do I live out my purpose? And he'd say, yeah, serve the purposes of God. And herein comes the rub, right? For the believer in Jesus, these aren't two separate things. There's not a your purpose and a God's purpose. But for many people, that's exactly the way that we live. We, we go after trying to seek and discover what, what our calling is and what we feel that we ought to do and the things that bring us fulfillment and the things that bring us joy and our family that we bring around us. And it's all these things. It feels like this is my purpose. And then we work really, really hard to try to get God plugged into our purpose to try to find a way to incorporate God into who we've become and who we've made ourselves to be. And it happens all the time, but that's backwards. There is one worthy pursuit of purpose, and that is to seek to discover God's purpose and plug ourselves into what he is doing in the world and how he desires us to participate in what he is doing in the world rather than he's not up in heaven going, would you please figure out what your purpose is so I can get busy already helping you out? It's not how it works. We have it backwards, but that's so often how we live. And some of us are so genuine about trying to plug God into our lives, and we work so hard at it, and we get frustrated because we've got it backwards. We need to consider who God is and what his purpose is, and we need to plug ourselves into that. That's where Paul is getting started. That was Paul's conviction, and you can see it in the way that he lived out his life here in this text. First of all, Paul demonstrates what it means to serve God's purpose boldly. Boldly is where he starts. Most everything that Paul did, he would just have to say, that's a bold move on his part. Men, if you're looking for someone for a role model, someone that you can look up to who acts courageously and with conviction and with tenacity, is a man's man, then I present Paul to you. Study his life. Come to understand who he was and what he did. If you're looking for some inspiration, I commend him to you. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 14, our passage, chapter 15, verse 14, he begins, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers and sisters, he means, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He's encouraging them. He is celebrating the growth that has happened in them, that that which he's picked up on, even though he's a long distance away from them, and he wants to build them up. But he knows that there's still room for growth. He goes on, verse 15, 
But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul understood his purpose was to serve God by serving others, specifically through the gospel. He knew that this was an authority that he had been given to him. If you could possibly remember all the way back 30 messages ago to when we started or looked at Romans 1 and verse 1, Paul called himself there an apostle of Christ Jesus, a person with authority to fulfill the purpose that God had given to him, which in his case was all about the gospel and taking it forward, leading others to faith. And that is what is given, he's given his life to do. But it's much more than a duty that he's just feeling as we might fulfill a duty of sitting in the office from 9 to 5 or, or going to our workplace maybe in the plant from 7 to 4, whatever it happens to be. This wasn't just a duty for Paul. It was a passion, and he threw himself into it 110%. Paul in no way was considering quiet quitting you familiar with quiet quitting? It's been all around. It's all the rage. It's being talked about all the time. If you're not familiar, it's a big rage. It sort of started off on TikTok and it's been making us. Quiet quitting is where a person stays in their job, but they decide, no longer am I going to put up with all this garbage. I am just going to do the bare minimum to get by. So I'm still in my job, but I'm essentially quitting it in many respects in my own mind, and I'm just going to do as little as I can to get by. They're fed up, but they don't quit. Now, there are other people who are fed up and they do quit. That's a whole different category. Like one I read about this week, he was, a, he was a stalker at a grocery store and he was fed up. So one night he decided, this is my last night, and he quit. But before he left, he went through the entire grocery store and he turned every item upside down. <laughs> that was his way of revolting. That is not a quiet quitter. I mean, if, if you're willing to do that, you're going 110% if you'd only put that into productive things instead, right? So quiet quitting is the person who stays in their job, but they do as little as... That is not the Apostle Paul. He, ex he is exactly the opposite of that. He gives everything that he has and then more beyond that. Paul serves boldly because he knows there are huge implications in the lives of the church as to how the gospel comes to them and the lives that are changed and the way that the kingdom of God is impacted just by him fulfilling the purpose that he's been given to do. And he's all about that. When he says he wants the offering of the Gentiles to be acceptable and, and to be sanctified, he's not so much speaking about the offering in terms of a financial thing, though it includes that. What he's talking about here is he wants their offering to be acceptable to God and the way that that would be acceptable is he gives himself completely and fully all in to God. He's hearkening back to Romans chapter 12, which we looked at, which is the turn in the book of Romans, in the letter to the Romans, where it goes from very theological to very practical. And what happens right there at the beginning of Romans 12 is he says that he's calling us to make our lives a living what? Sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And that's exactly what Paul has done in his life. And he's continuing to call us to that. Not making Jesus something that we just add to our lives, but making him Lord of all, submitting our jobs and our families and our hobbies, all of it to him. There are far too many of us who are pursuing our own interests and our own avocations and our own 
sports interests and our sports teams and, and traveling teams and what will you. We're submitting ourselves to that and it's leaving us in a place where we're desiring, we're trying to squeeze God into who we are, but we're not being very successful at getting that done. The rest needs to become subservient to Christ. But Paul's concern as a spiritual father to the people of the church is that he would help to bring them to a place where their lives are centered in on Christ. And our responsibility as parents is the same thing. Spiritual parents to our own kids to do the same thing, to set them up for their spiritual success, but we will not do so if we don't foster this sort of Jesus-first commitment in our homes, in all that we do. We're teaching some sort of commitment, but if it's not a Jesus-first commitment, then we're teaching a something-else-first commitment. Whatever that happens to be is something that ultimately is going to set your kids up for failure, spiritual failure. And Paul is calling us to follow through in this sort of spirit and attitude. And Paul knows how critical this is, so he speaks very plainly. He speaks very boldly to them so that they might thrive. Now, I'm no Paul, that's for sure, but I also know how critical this is, and I'm tired of kids just deciding that they get out of high school and it's time to leave the church behind and leave their faith behind. I believe that we can do better. But I believe right out in front is a Jesus-first commitment that we demonstrate in our homes, with our spouses, not just our kids, with others around us with whom we have influence, that says belonging to Jesus is something that ought to transform us from the inside out. It's not something we fit into our lives. It's something that becomes our life. Of Paul's example of serving the purposes of God boldly as he goes on. We also see that he does so humbly. That's the second thing. Despite all of the things that God has accomplished through the life and ministry of Paul, he knew where that power came from. He knew where it all was centered. Look at verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I'm just a nobody. I've got nothing to offer. I'm just a humble little nobody. He doesn't say that. He knows he does have something to offer. He knows he's been called. He knows he's been gifted. He has seen the fruit come out of his labors. In fact, he says here in verse 18, he talks about the things that were done through me. He says, yet at the same time, he knows where those gifts came from. He knows where those abilities, those talents came from. He knows it's all ultimately from the hand of God. Paul's the vessel, but Christ is the power. Jesus himself said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a balance here, and when it comes to your service for Christ, don't sell yourself short, but don't puff yourself up either. Don't walk around thinking, oh, I don't have anything to offer for the kingdom of God. Because you do, and that's to discredit what God has offered and provided on your behalf. The gifts that he has given to you. You need to embrace them. You need to use them to serve others while at the same time seeking God's empowerment on those things that would fill them up and make them greater still in terms of the, the impact of those things in the lives of other people. It's a both and, to be sure. And Paul, of all people, recognizes that one without the other gets nothing done, but together they accomplish God-sized ministry. 
You need to keep that in mind to be sure. That's how Paul worked, and those are the sorts of results he saw. Paul says his ministry was accomplished, verse 19, look at it, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. This is more evidence of serving humbly yet confidently. Paul knew the signs and wonders. Those weren't of his doing. He knows he leaned into it. He had the faith to to move towards someone who needed healing or something of that nature. But he knew where the power came from. He knew that it was from Christ. But he also has this sense that he has fulfilled his ministry in this huge region. Now to Timothy, Paul referred to the lion's share of that region as Dalmatia. Dalmatia. Interesting tidbit. There are a lot of stops along the road, the main road that runs through Dalmatia. And in one of the histories that was written about that road, they actually identified some 101 stops or way stations, as it were, where you could stop on this road through Dalmatia, which, interestingly enough, is the thing that inspired, what's her name, Dodie Smith in 1956 to title her novel, 101 Dalmatians. Okay, I just made that up. But it, it was a huge region, just the same. I had you going. <laughs> it was a huge region, just the same. It stretched from Jerusalem, Jerusalem up through modern-day Turkey, through modern-day Greece and, and Bulgaria and Croatia, all the way to the Italian border. This is the significance of what Paul has accomplished through the empowerment of God. And he celebrates the opportunity he's had to give his life toward that end and to serve the purposes of God. And it's a beautiful thing in all of those places, serving the purposes of God. Do we look at Paul and think, oh man, uh, there's there's a life that was wasted, that poor guy. No, we look at him and we celebrate who he is and all that he's done because he became subservient himself to the purposes of God. That's not the failure of a life. It's the thriving of a life. Now, that was his call to take the gospel far and wide like that, to get on the road and go out and get it done. And that's awesome. That's not necessarily your call. Not necessarily my call either. You don't need to try to fulfill Paul's call. But there are some things in his call that transfer to us, one of those being the importance of being gospel-centered people, ones who desire to see other people impacted with the message of the gospel themselves, to be sharing it so that they might see it and come to know it and come to understand it, that their lives might be transformed in the process. And you have things that you can share in that regard. And you ought to. You ought to take the experiences that you've had. You ought to take the, the story of your own life, how God has impacted you and where he met you in your life. And then pray that God would fill that up with his spirit, so that there might be something in that person that you're sharing with that would be impacted by that gospel message, not through your power, but through the power of Christ who is meeting with you and working through you, that his light might be seen and experienced in that person's life. If you insist on serving your purpose and trying to fit God into it, the gospel message, the desire to share your faith is never going to overtake you. And some of us are there. And some of us have been there for a very long time. But if we will make serving God, serving the purposes of God, 
that which is primary to us, soon enough you're going to see this sort of desire start to burn in you for the sake of others who, who are apart from faith in Jesus. So how do I live my purpose? I serve the purpose of God. It's done boldly and humbly and also intentionally. You can see Paul's intentionality on display as he continues in verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul's conviction was that the focus of his ministry should be to take the gospel to people who'd never heard it before. That's cool. That's what he feels his call is. And oftentimes he's referred to as the apostle to the Gentiles, to people who had never heard before. That's great, though it's not necessarily intended to be prescriptive for us. There's nothing wrong for you looking for someone to share with, and it's like, oh, they've heard the gospel before, so I'm going to have to keep looking for somebody else. No reason for you to do that. This isn't prescriptive that you should only talk to people who've never heard before. There are people in your sphere of influence who need to hear from you. In fact, at least one study has shown that the average number of times a person needs to hear about the gospel before they actually respond to it is seven. Seven. You might be that seventh person, which is awesome, and rejoice in that. And be bold with your faith. Don't worry about whether or not they've heard it before. That was Paul's circumstance where he felt. And even in his case, he preached to people who had heard it before. But it just wasn't the focus. But it doesn't need to be our focus. Important for us to understand. And besides, these days, people have less and less familiarity with the gospel message, even those who are around us in our own individual context in our communities. At the same time, if you feel the pull, the pull to follow after Paul's pattern, to go to people who have never heard before, then there's plenty of opportunity for that too. Missiologists tell us about all of the unreached people groups that there are in our world today. And they would define that in this sort of way. You can see the definition there. A group of people among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their people group without outside assistance. And there's no shortage of people who fall into that category. In our world, we're rapidly approaching a population of 8 billion people. And it's estimated that about 3.5 billion people are unreached. 41% of people around our globe today unreached. We need to pray, and we need to send, and we need to go to close that gap. Paul led the way with this sort of gospel intentionality, and it's beautifully inspiring to see. So how do I live my purpose? Paul says, serve the purposes of God, and we can see how he does so. And there's another way we can do that as well that comes from the end of Romans 15, and that's to Pursue the call of God. Serve the purposes of God. Told you we just had two straightforward points, and this is the other one. Pursue the call of God. 
Now you might be tempted to think that by this point in Paul's life, with all that he has accomplished, with all of the journeys that he has been on, with all of the churches that he has planted, with all the people he has led to help come into faith, that it would be about time for God or for Paul to just throttle back a little bit, to settle down, to take it easy just a little bit. But Paul's doing no such thing. He's got this conviction of what God's call is on his life, and he's going to continue to pursue it, and we can get a glimpse of what he's got in mind as he continues. Verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, kind of sounds like the beginning of a retirement letter to me, And since I have longed for many years to come to you, these people in Rome, it sounds like, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm going to get my vacation home there in Rome. I can even see the Colosseum built in a few years. I'll just hang out with you guys. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. To Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. As you can hear, Paul's, Paul's, anything but but done he's probably about 60 at this point but he's not looking toward retirement he's not going to throw in the towel you can just see that kind of reminds me of this guy named Fauja Singh who's the oldest man to have ever completed a marathon at age 104 that is my new goal (laughs) in life to run a marathon at age 104 and to still be pastoring pathway at the same time. Yeah, don't worry, that's not going to happen. And besides, don't worry because if I'm still doing that, you will have left a long time before that, I'm sure, or maybe have died a long time before that. But I did have a great-grandfather who lived to 104, so that is now my new goal. Or there's Rosemary Smith, who became the oldest woman to drive a Formula One race car at age 79. Unfortunately, they wouldn't let her drive in the actual race because she kept leaving her turn signal on. So, well, there's, there's nothing slowing Paul down here either, and he's got designs to get to Spain, of all places. See, Spain in those days was considered to kind of be the last frontier. It was, it was way out there, and there were most definitely people there who had never heard the gospel So Paul's like, yeah, count me in. Let's go to Spain. That is on his mind and in his heart to get there. But he has something else to take care of first. Verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come, have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be service to them in material blessings. Paul cares very deeply for these Jews who were back in Jerusalem, who are struggling greatly. They're very poor. Circumstances in Jerusalem are very bad for Christians at this point, but there they are, and they're doing their best. And so these people in Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia and Achaia that Paul had been a part of, he's been collecting these funds. They've been giving funds to support those Jewish people back in Jerusalem, which is interesting because the ones who are giving are primarily Gentiles. New Gentile believers, and this is something that's going to ultimately build unity between Jews and Gentiles all the way along. And Paul's going to be sure that I'm getting back there with this offering to meet them in their need. Of course, before that was in Paul's heart, it was in Jesus' heart. That's just the heart of 
the gospel. That's the heart of Christianity, is that we would be looking to the interests and the needs of other people, and that we would be stepping up to meet those. So I encourage you to open up your eyes to those who are around you, and that you accordingly would meet them in their circumstance. Who might it be that God would even be placing on your heart right now? Maybe a need you know of that you could step into. And if you're not in any circles where you're learning of any needs, maybe you need to broaden your circles. The spirit of Paul and the spirit of Jesus to be sure. And it's a beautiful thing. We're called to get done. Verse 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul would make it to Rome, but not under the circumstances that he imagined. He didn't go there to enjoy a little time with them and collect some resources so that he might go on to Spain. See, when Paul got to Jerusalem, things were in very difficult circumstances. And actually, they warned Paul before he went that this is the sort of encounter he's going to have when he gets there, that people would be standing against him. But he's like, it's my call. I'm going. I'm pursuing the call of God. Remember that man's man stuff? This is, this is him sort of flexing his muscles and saying, I'm going to serve whatever the cost And when he gets to Jerusalem, he finds that some of the Christians were even standing against him because they weren't sure that they could trust him yet because they just knew him as this this Jewish guy who was this staunch Pharisee who was persecuting Christians. And can we really trust what we've heard that he's changed? Because they weren't out on the road with him. They hadn't lived and seen his heart, so they're standing against him. And then you've got the Jews. They're standing against him because he was one of them, but now he's out preaching Jesus. And so kind of everybody's against him. And indeed, ultimately, Paul does get arrested and his life is just barely spared and and he appeals to Caesar and he ends up going essentially to Rome to be put on trial. But he goes as a prisoner on this ship and the ship gets shipwrecked. And then he gets bitten by this deadly snake and he survives it, but he ends up in Rome under house arrest. We don't know for sure if Paul ever made it to Spain. But actually, it doesn't look very likely. But even if he didn't, that doesn't diminish his accomplishments one bit. We tend to think that success is when we accomplish our goals. But that's not it. I hope I never accomplish all of my goals. (laughs) Because if you accomplish all of your goals, it means at some point you become idle and there's nothing else that you're pressing forward toward. I hope I'm always pushing to something. I hope all of us always have something out in front of us that we're pressing toward. For Paul, that landed him in confinement in Rome. But I can just imagine the conversations that he would have had. Just think about it. Here's this letter. He's just written to Rome. They've gotten it. The church has read it. What would you do if all of a sudden you learned that Paul is there under house arrest? I'd go visit. I'd go say, I just read Romans, and I've got some questions. And I'd love for you to respond. So I'm sure that he had beautiful conversations. Beyond that, we know that he preached and he taught some Roman officials. We know that people came to faith under his ministry while he's there under confinement. He continued to fulfill his purpose. It wasn't just in fulfilling everything and succeeding in accomplishing all of the goals that mean you've been successful. 
Typically, it is the process, the faithfulness that is demonstrated in making your way there. I don't know what frustrations you might be experiencing right now when it comes to actually fulfilling the goals that might be out there in front of you. But I do know that there doesn't need to be discouragement in that as we're pressing on toward those. We're in the process of being faithful to Christ and fulfilling the call that he's placed on us, pursuing the call of God. How do I live my purpose? I pursue the call of God. Paul wraps it up then in verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That kind of sounds like he's signing off his letter, doesn't it? And in many ways, he is. That's exactly what he's doing. Next week, when we look at chapter 16, we're going to see it's got a very different tone to it. It Sounds very different than all the rest of the letter up until this point. Be sure you're back so you can catch up on that. But Paul's desire is that the people of the church in Rome would pray for him. He knew that the things in front of him were going to be hard. He knew that they were going to be tough. He knew that they were going to be dangerous. But that didn't cause him to shrink back from pursuing his call. It just led him to increase his prayer support. What are you doing that you're nervous about going forward with and doing without getting greater prayer support behind you. Is there anything? Anything that you endeavor to do that's sort of in that realm? Or is it all kind of, yeah, I think I, I got it covered. I can handle this. Is that maybe because it's not sort of of the realm or, or connected to God's purposes to the degree where it actually requires something that goes beyond us and we can get all of that done, maybe our ministry, maybe our service, maybe our volunteering, just through the things I've already got, the purposes I've already poured into my own life. And oh, by the way, God, I'd love to have you bless that. Yeah, sure. But I'm not relying on you to get that done. That's where Paul is. I don't dare go forward without greater prayer support is what he is saying. And what is there that you could be praying for in the life and the ministry of somebody else? Are you praying for your pastors? Are you praying for other leaders, teachers, workers, volunteers, other Pathwanians? pathway people, that we might experience the fullness of the outpouring of the blessing of God so that we might be people who are endeavoring to do all of what God calls us to do, so that we'd be people who would be faithful about recognizing what the purposes of God are and living those out instead of our own smaller dreams. Are you praying? I plead with you to do that. We need your prayer. If you're not praying at least once a week for all of those things, would you start? Better yet, would you pray every day? I have people who come to me, they say, I pray for you every day. Some say, I wake up in the middle of the night and I pray for you. And so I hate that you don't let me sleep. No, they don't add that usually, but 
Would you pray? Paul says it is so vital to it all getting done. So, how do I fulfill my purpose? It's not by pursuing a bunch of interests and hobbies and avocations and busyness. It's not where it's found. I've tried to find it there. Maybe you've tried to find it there too. And the thing is, we can make it look pretty good. We can even fool ourselves to believing that I'm in the center of where God would have me to be, that I am striving after his purposes because we're striving to get him into our purposes. And sometimes it feels the same if you've never come to experience what really serving the purposes of Christ is all about. But if you will, if you'll serve the purposes of God, if you'll pursue the call of God, what will happen is that you're going to end up in a place where you experience the greatest fulfillment you've ever experienced in all of life. And that's what I desire for you. That's what Paul is demonstrating for us that we can experience. So don't just set this aside. Ask yourself, where am I? You probably already know the answer to the question. What can you do to move yourself forward? To live your purpose? (laughs) Step one is make it in service to the purposes of God. Pursue his call and experience the fullness of it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his example. Thank you for this text that is telling us so much about why he did what he did, what was motivating him, what was behind it. Lord, I just pray that we would be people who would embrace that, who would recognize that for what it is. And I would just ask that you might lead us to the place where we would be convicted to the point where this is something that we're going to do. We're no longer, we just going to make it about our purpose and God, please fill it. But make it about your purpose in all that we say, in all that we do. Lord, we need to be on our knees to recognize where we are. We need to be on our knees to make this commitment before you. And right now, I just feel, just feel led to give a moment to all of you who are listening, wherever you are, just to take a moment with God and to make the commitment of your own life that he would be calling you to in this moment. So let's just take some moments in silence and you just, you just do whatever business you need to do with God. Take a moment. Father, you know each of our hearts and we know your desire. We've spent a lot of time spinning our wheels, trying to manufacture things, trying to make things look 
like you're right in the middle of everything and we're just striving to get you there but for some reason for so long we haven't been able to get it done probably because it's been too crowded in the middle of the purpose exploration in our heart Lord, help us to just clear out that spot and put you there and allow other things to fill in around that primary commitment to live toward your glory. Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who are here, who are listening in, who are sitting in these spaces. And Lord, my, my heart is just drawn to pray for the needs that experience here, are experienced here, the hurts that have been experienced, the pain, the loss that has transpired in, in the lives of those who are just sitting here now. And Lord, we would pray for your comfort. We would pray for your peace. We would pray that you would meet us in the midst of our need. Just as Paul calls on the people in Rome to pray because he knew of the life-giving power that was in it. Lord, we pray and ask for your encouragement and your peace. Lord, I also pray in joy as there are great joys that are anticipated in, in short periods of time from now. And I would just ask that you would provide in these circumstances also. Lord, always in a, in a context of a fellowship of of believers in a church setting like this. There are people on both ends of that spectrum and a lot of places in between. And we're thankful that you're not just a God who can meet us at one end or the other, but that you meet us all the way along the way. You love us and you care for us. And Lord, we desire to care for one another and we pray our prayers asking that you would lead and direct and bless and guide and comfort whatever the need in each heart. Friend, if you're here today and you would like to pray with somebody, we encourage you to come on down when we're done or meet me in the lobby. Well, we'd love that opportunity. Lord, your goodness is abundant. We want to be people who follow after you completely. Lead us to that place, we ask now. In Jesus' name, amen.